We continue in the Gospel of John today. So if you have your Bibles and like to, to follow along, we'll finish John chapter 4. It's the end of a section, the initial section of the Gospel of John, which is an amazing, amazing section. And in fact, most people skip or very much brush over the section we're going to focus on today that ends this little piece. And it's, I think it's really important. I'm excited to share it with you, but it's not an easy section. So let me give you up front just a, a, a piece. Jesus is so needed by us. And he does things in ways that we just don't understand. Your whole life is about trusting him, not improving. That's a message you'll hear a lot of, but I want to bring it home with, with how surprising it is. We, we think things are as they should be, and they're not. And we think this all the time. We have the incredible ability to think we're doing okay or we know the right pathway to be on and just be totally messed up. It's a little bit like this, I was thinking. So I like the little dehydrated soups. You ever have those, Campbell soup? You pick like the vegetable soup and it's condensed and you dump it in a can and then it says, just add water. So then you add a can of water. If you're feeling really luxurious, you can add like a quarter cup of milk or something and you add it in there and you stir it up. And I'll confess there are things I think, so a little bit, I think, well, when we Christianity is like that. I bring me and I add a little living water and I stir it up and now it's going to be better. But I look in there and I start seeing stuff that I don't like, like those little green vegetables. I don't know what they are. I think there may be celery, but I don't like them. So I pick those out because those are no good. And then I, and then I pick, and the things I choose to pick out maybe are things that are good or maybe they're not. Maybe I should be eating my vegetables. I don't know. But there's the thing. I think I know. And I end up thinking I'm making this soup that I'm going to like and it's going to be delicious. That's my thought of kind of how we approach Christianity. We add in Jesus, we start stirring around, we start picking out the bad stuff that we've been doing so that we have good stuff left over. And instead, the Bible, in fact, John has started on this pathway of saying, it's an incredible new thing that's happened to you. It's called the new birth. It's new soup. It's totally different than what you had before. It's not the camp, sorry, Campbell's, if you love Campbell's. It's not the Campbell stuff. It's God made amazing, wondrous. You, you don't even really understand what's happening that deep. And so these things I start to see, I, 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 you know, I, the, the ways that I look at life, I, I have to think, okay, underneath it, I've got to trust that God has me and he's at work. I mean, we see examples of it no matter which side you're on with the election we've just been in. What's the main thing? God, God's got this. I don't care what position you're in. God's got this. But it's more than that. It's actually God's got me all the way through. I start thinking, no, no, no. I know the things I'm working on. I'm working at being less immoral, so doing less sin. Like I'm trying to covet less. I know that's bad. The world thinks it is too. I think I'm power corrupt, so I'm after less power. I got all that stuff. And I start to think, I've got this. I've got the picking out the ingredients of the soup and I'm making it okay. And that's why, to me, we have, to some degree, the passage we have this morning. It is not comfortable for me to start thinking about how Jesus is so different than me. Because I naturally, and so do you, I know you, because I know me. I want to be around people who honor me. I want to have friends. I don't need a lot, but I need some. I need connection. I want to be around people who, 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 will, who will do the right thing. And, 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 and Jesus takes this and he just, he's God and he shocks me. 
with how he does stuff differently. And I think we should try and be like him. I'm not going to say that this way. Of course, be like Jesus. He's perfect. Why wouldn't you? But I think the end of the day, we aren't like Jesus. And so you and I walk in forgiveness, which is amazing. That builds our community. I want to show you that today from here and, and from this amazing piece because, because John has been showing us this new picture of, of who Jesus is. And it should be shocking, but unfortunately, because we've been around the church so long, if you're like me, been a Christian for a long time, I start like not really getting Jesus is so amazing. You know, like we started off in John with the, with the introduction, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That's saying God became man. Oh my goodness, everybody should hear the word Jesus and hit the floor. But I don't. I've heard the word Jesus a lot. We heard about him taking those, those ceremonial pots for ritual cleansing and transforming it into the best wine you've ever heard tasted. I'm like, well, that's cool. Jesus made wine. No, 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 no. The replacement of the whole system and the transformation that only Jesus can. And then talking to Nicodemus and he's talking about you gotta be born again. Nobody just gets born again. That's not adding Jesus to your soup. That's like, wow, I can't even understand going back into the womb. Jesus over and over, even this short piece, this section of introducing how radically different he's going to be, there's these pieces that that are simply amazing. No less so than last week when we started chapter 4 and he goes and he doesn't avoid Samaria. He goes to Samaria to meet this woman and to, to start this amazing revival, this public ministry with people that are heretics, lost, wrong thinking, wrong people, immoral. And they're the people he says, come, let me reveal to you that I'm your hope. The amazing thing is they respond, right? Remember? And he started this amazing, this amazing connection I want to start there this morning. That's where we're starting with signs of dishonor. Because Jesus did that. I wouldn't. I would have like made these people over here the power oriented, like well put together. But instead he's with the five time divorced, sleeping with someone dishonored, outcast in Samaria person. And, and, and then the whole society is just coming to him. And at that point, I want to jump in again. Look at all these people coming to Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. So first, Jesus chooses dishonor. We'll pick it up in verse 43 of chapter 4. Here it says, after two days, he, it's talking about Jesus, departed for Galilee. That's a statement of Jesus left Samaria and went to Galilee after two days. What have those two days been like? Well, if you read back, we're not going to take time because I want to go forward. But but if you read back, you realize what Jesus has been doing is hundreds, maybe thousands, tons of people are coming to him and they're hearing him and they're believing him. There's all we used to believe because of the things you said, they say to the woman. But now we believe because of the things he's just telling us. He's the savior of the world. They're believing him. And so I get in my head and Dax's head would be this man, those Pharisees. And those law people over there, those power people don't get Jesus, but the, the least and the little and the lost do. And now Jesus is with his people and he's going to gather them together and they're going to, she's going to soak in the wonder of having actually found people who believe him. So I am a little bit scratching my head as I start today. After two days, he left for Galilee. Why? 
Why would you think if it was you? Think if you've been misunderstood and not understood right and doing all these things. And then you finally reveal yourself to some people and they get so excited and they see you as you are and they're, they're embracing you and they're your friends and they, they're, 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 and, and you'd be like, oh yeah, okay, now I'm out. I wouldn't. I'm like, dude, let's start a movement. Let's be together. Finally, people that really get me. This is unusual, right? Something's happening here. He leaves. I say, stay. Not only is it like, wow, if I was making connections, I'd want to stay there. But Jesus has just said the fields are ripe for harvest. He's talking about Samaria. Stay there, Jesus. You'll have connection. You'll have honor. You'll have respect. You're the Messiah. I mean, they aren't the rich and the right standing and all that. But now there's this new community, a new connection. And, and, and you're honored and loved and together. And this is fantastic. And Jesus, after two days, takes off. Why? Well, we're given this little statement. It's in a parenthesis. It's not in the original text. It's, just, it's there. And they put it in parentheses because it seems to be added by John. says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Oh, oh, that's why he went. Huh? Wait a minute. This is why people skip this passage. That seems to make no sense, Right? A prophet has no honor. So Jesus is in Samaria, which is not his hometown, not his place. People are receiving him and excited. And then he's saying, okay, two days. I'm going back to Galilee. Galilee is his hometown. That's where he's from. Nazareth is in Galilee. Jesus of Nazareth. So he's going back to his hometown. And he says, well, Jesus goes there because because he uh, himself said, i.e., Jesus is doing this on purpose, that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Okay, uh, Jesus is particularly headed to where he's not going to be honored. Why? Yeah, it's not because they were going to have phone rings going on. It's not. So, so what's going on? So we have to in our head. Okay, well, he's setting it up somehow where Jesus is choosing to enter into dishonor in his hometown, and he knows that he's going to be dishonored there. But he's going there anyway, and I, I wouldn't. I stick around with people who are going to honor me. Let's get me. Have community with me. Something. Okay, so when he came to Galilee, verse 45, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now I'm really confused, and now I totally get why people skip this stuff. Okay. Jesus is in Samaria, and he's getting accolades, and he's calling people, and people are coming to him. But in two days, he leaves, and we're told he leaves because he's going to go back to his hometown where people dishonor him. And when he gets there, they, well, they welcome him. What? That's not dishonoring. Dishonoring when you come back, and the hometown guy comes back. He's not dishonored, right? So this confuses me. They're supposed to dishonor him according to the last verse. So what's the text telling us? Why is it here? What's going on? So first, you've got to see this. The welcome of his neighbors is dishonoring. That's what the text means. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. These Galileans, his neighbors, his own brothers, they think they're receiving him. They don't really understand. If you remember right, the, the brothers in chapter 7, we're going to get there, they say, Jesus, do a bunch of signs because, man, you should show people, i.e., they don't trust him. He even says his brothers don't believe. They're welcoming him, but they're welcoming him in a certain way. 
right? This acceptance and honor in Samaria is about Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're our only hope. We have no hope except for you. His welcome at home is what? Jesus. You're the cool dude. Right? Jesus is doing signs and wonders. And they like it. What's the problem with signs and wonders? Especially if someone you know. So someone you know, and it's someone that's a friend, or someone that you that you heard. Oh, someone in your hometown. If I was really like being mean, I'd pick somebody in here and say, okay, you're the guy that does signs and wonders, and we all know you. You're the healer. You're the guy. You're the gal. I start to do, if I know you're the person that can do cool stuff, what happens? I start to say, oh, I need something. Where do I go? The person that can do it. Why am I going to them? They can help me. Why do I think they're going to help me? They're from my town. I'm entitled. I know Jesus. I know this Jesus guy. He grew up here. If I have a need, I'll go because he, he, he should help me. He's from my town. It's called entitlement. These guys are welcoming him because Jesus will do great stuff for them. It's like a politician rolling into town. I don't care what stripe. What's the first words out of their mouth? All the things are going to do for you. Like, love me because I'll help you. I'll help you uh, with this. I'll help you with that. Well, my policies will be the best. So here's Jesus and, and people see him in that way, right? They're looking at him and saying, hey, 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 oh, I welcome you, Jesus. Welcome. But that's a welcome of dishonor. Why? What should they do again? Remember, this is the, from John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember, this is the one who's the savior of the world. Remember, this is the one that if he stood in front of you, he's God incarnate, the king of the universe who made everything and holds everything together by the word of his power. What do you do when you see that God? Maybe you do what Isaiah did. And you fell at his feet to worship him. You know, welcome him. Hey, Jesus, cool. Man, my brother's got a club foot. Come help him. That's not wrong. It's just dishonoring, right? Because of what Jesus actually is versus what we think. It minimizes the truth that he's just one of us. He's not the son of God. And then, and then there's this entitlement piece that comes in. So it's not about grace. It's about connection. And if there's anything the world works on, it's connection. For all of us, even in our church body. You know, I'm way more likely to go talk to Steve about, hey, Steve, can you help my car? Because I've got a connection with him. He's in the church body. And he knows cars. I'm way more likely in, in outside of there, hey, I want a job. I'm going to find my friend. He's going to have a connection for me. And now I've got a connection. If you're a Galilean, who's your connection? Jesus. And guess what? That's dishonoring. Why? That seems normal. Yeah, that's the problem. Everything we do. I think I'm picking out the bad pieces of the soup. Actually, every part of the soup is bad. Oh, my goodness. That, that's, that's this amazing, amazing story. Here's the thing. Jesus knows all this. Jesus knows they aren't thinking rightly. He knows they aren't honoring him. He knows they have no understanding of what the gospel is, or what the good news is. He has, they have no clue. They have the wrong thinking. They just aren't right. If it was our society right now, it'd be like Jesus is a Democrat and they're Republicans or something, or vice versa. They're wrong. You know what we do with that? We mock them on Facebook. Or at least we disassociate ourselves with people who don't think rightly. What does Jesus do? You want to see this. It's amazing. He comes in and he overcomes. He overcomes with grace. Absolutely, totally different 
than how we do stuff. I, I, I want to show you. Here, look. So then, right away, it says he came to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So he's you're closing a section here. He's even a reference back to chapter 2 of the wedding at Cana in Galilee. So he came in. That's the heading here. It's, it's direct. He had to pass through Samaria, where you get to see him being received and honored by the outcast and totally amazing and the undeserving. This stuff isn't random. Jesus is aimed here. He's aimed to go or he's dishonored. And then there's a story. It's pretty amazing. Here's this official. So at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So it seems like this is random change of topic, but it is flowing into the same exact message we were talking about. Um, Capernaum is about 15 miles west of, of Cana. Cana is about 10 miles north of Nazareth. That's all in this little triangle. It's Jesus' hometown. That's where he's from. So some people link this story to another story. The synoptics, a story about um, a, an official with a servant who's sick, a centurion. Totally different story. Jesus did a ton of stuff. This one's put in particularly for you and I to see what's going on with honor and dishonor. Okay, so this man whose son was ill. The word official there, at Capernaum, there was an official. It means a, a nobleman. It means somebody of high rank. It, it could be somebody who's connected to the ruling family. The people that are ruling this area at this time is a guy named Herod Antipas. You may have heard his name. He was a piece of work. He married his brother's wife. He was going to behead John the Baptist. He's not a good guy. He's not like an upstanding, fine dude. He's bad. But maybe maybe he's not really even from there. Some people think he's more like a Samaritan than a hometown person. He, 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 but he's acting like the people from the hometown. So let's look. He says, okay, so there's this nobleman. His son is ill. And the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. He went to him and he asked him, Jesus, to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So... You know, the hometown folk, right? They're interested in Jesus because he does cool, amazing things. And he helped them in their daily practical living. You have a disease, you have a deformity, see Jesus. And this man is acting the same way, right? I've got a health need. Please fix it. Would you come and heal my son? He's almost dead. He's not saying, he's not saying, I'm such a rebellious person. I've just messed up my life. I need you, Jesus. No, 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 no. He's like, my son's almost sick. There's this local miracle guy, shaman dude, whatever. Let's have him come. Maybe he can heal my son. Maybe he can help me get what I want. That, uh, I'm sorry to make a big deal of this. I, I feel like it is a big deal because, unfortunately, we slip into this a lot, right? I mean, I do. I mean, in my confession, I do. I know the reality that underneath thing is that Jesus is my savior and he's got me. He's got every single thing about me. He's got my kids. He's got my wife. He's got my life. He's got my breath. He's got everything I have. And yet I constantly am doing things like, man, Jesus, I would be really great if you would do this for me. I do it all the time. It's not wrong. It's normal, right? So this is normal, but it's dishonoring. It gets a little uncomfortable kind of fast. Why is it dishonoring? Because I'm not actually trusting that God has it. 
Especially if I think my prayers are going to make it happen. Like God suddenly didn't know what I thought and then I prayed it. Now he knows, so now he's going to do it. Like I have a super in connection. That's me being just like the Galileans, right? That's terrible. But I do it a lot. Lord, I really want this. Please give it to me. That's not wrong to express that to God. No, 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 no. But the the dishonoring piece is that somehow in my mind, I'm thinking as I do that, that God doesn't want to give it to me unless I pray to him rightly or something. That's horrible. My God who knows all about me and is the king of the universe and loves me beyond measure. Okay, hold that and keep going. So Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He lays out the problem, right? Man, all you want to see is the stuff. And the really interesting thing is this. It doesn't come through in our English text, but I'll tell you it's there. It's in the plural. He's just talking to everybody. Unless you all see these signs and wonders, you all will not believe. Yeah, I know. Totally. It's like that, right? Unless I see the stuff. You and I are like these people. I should totally believe, and and I don't. And Jesus addresses the whole group. You're wonder worshipers. You're calling it belief. It's not real belief, and this is dishonoring to believe someone because they do nice things for you. It dominates this account. It's a sweeping statement because they're so all accused. The best and the least, everyone, Jesus just lays it out there, and, and, and he lays it out there for you and me. I know it starts to get my hackles up. But stay with it, because here's our one specific man. Let's finish him. He's come for the miracle. He's dishonoring Jesus. Jesus says, that's what he's saying, right? You're dishonoring me. You should just believe me, and you're not believing me. Then what does he do? The official says to him, sir, come down before my child dies. The official doesn't even comment on Jesus' statement that you're dishonoring him. He, he doesn't even, he just repeats his request, right? And, and neither Jesus nor John, who's writing this, comments on his sincerity. He, he wants his child healed. It's, it's maybe a little bit deeper expression. He says, my dear child, it's like an expression of endearment. It's like, I really care about my kid. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. This is remarkable. Jesus has come in. He sees that he's not going to believe except for doing this. He knows and says it's dishonoring. And then he gives the man the gift. Wow. He hasn't believed. He's an example of wonder worship. He's asked Jesus to come. When Jesus says, go your way, he's simply left believing. He's not believing in Jesus. He's believing in the sign, right? That Jesus, it's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you don't need antibiotics, you'll get better. And so you believe the doctor because the doctor has the experience. So he did that. He went to Jesus about his kid. Jesus says something about his kid. He said, okay, fine. You're the healer. I'll believe you. It's exactly the kind of belief that Jesus says is dishonoring to him. And he did it. Wow. Man, believe the word Jesus spoke to him went on his way. This is not good. His response isn't to think of Jesus as the king of kings, that Jesus entered into this. Instead, it's to sort of believe in the thing. Just what Jesus is hitting him for, just I believe what we also struggle with. And yet, as he was going down, 
his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. It's an amazing little point, right? Something that's really cool. Now it's like, wow, I like this. It's like he goes down and, and he has a servant comes running out and says, oh, he's alive, he's alive, he's better. So when did he get better? Well, right at this point when Jesus said your son will live, boom. Wow. Who can do that? Not a doctor. Not some like wonder worker bumbling along going, yes, I've got the power in my finger and I will t-. This is over distance just by the word and saying and all of a sudden it's like, whoa. And so, so it says there, right? And so it says, and he himself believed and all his household. The, this is the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea to Galilee. Boom, close, end of section, done. The presentation of the Messiah. See, see what he did now? Now the official went from believing in Jesus could heal to it says he believed. And it's a different belief it's talking about. It's talking about he believed Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. You're like a little bit like, I, I get this. I, I get what you're saying, Pastor. I, I get, I get the idea. Why is it remarkable? It's remarkable because it's not anything that you would do ever. Do you know we build our walls to try and keep people who are bad out? Say, if you'll get the right view, then I'll let you in. It's Jesus going into this person who's sinning not thinking rightly, an example of of dishonoring him, and he goes and hangs out with him, and he doesn't correct his view. He says it's wrong, but then he loves him and gives him a gift, the gift of healing. And and through that, Jesus actually breaks into his world, and and, and the guy gets life. Think about if we did that with our political parties. Oh, my goodness. It's just radically different. This, by the way, is the difference between honor and dishonor. One believes Jesus can do things. The other believes in Jesus. Believing in Jesus, that he's the savior. He, he's the savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's got your life. He's in charge of everything. He can do anything he wants. He can speak in a word at a distance and things will happen. And he's alive still, you know. He's not your helper. He's your savior. Amazing. Why does it close like this? Why is this such a piece? It says, because I, I like the introduction to John where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the idea of the new birth and that coming out. I like the raised serpent and the image of looking to Jesus and live. Why does he close this whole, that whole section with this little piece? And I believe it's because of this this morning. We'll close with this. It's because it's so undeserved what Jesus does for you and me. And we are so prone to try and make it about the deserving. Jesus enters into our world where we don't think rightly and he comes in anyway. We want people to get it all straight and all your ducks lined up in a row and instead Jesus comes in where it isn't, right? And I think especially in this season where there's such a divide, to be with people who think like me, to be with people who honor me is what I'm after all the time. And I think, hey, wait a minute, maybe that's not right. Maybe we should be with people who don't think rightly. Maybe, in fact, we are. And maybe, in fact, that's what we're called to. Indeed, I think it's not a bad thing, but it goes along the line of this thing that maybe you've heard. Be like Jesus. 
Here's what Jesus did. He went into people who would dishonor him and he, he hung out with them and he, he gifted them and graced them and, and they actually came to believe in him because of his amazing following of entering into dishonor. And it's really good. I think it's not wrong for me to say to you from here, you should be like Jesus. But I'll tell you what. That means what exactly? It means only one thing to me. I hope it does to you. You don't. You aren't like Jesus. I can say it till I'm blue in the face, be like Jesus. Are you like Jesus? No. Well, I'm more like Jesus than that guy. Uh Uh-uh. What you do, and immediately what you do, as soon as I say, be like Jesus, which is right and true. You should be like Jesus. Jesus never sinned. Jesus loved perfectly. Jesus went into places that, that, that we ought to go into. Jesus is so amazing. He's our Savior. He's wonderful. Be like Jesus. At the same time, everything about Jesus, you can't. As soon as you think, well, I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm going to never covet because Jesus never coveted. Great. You're aimed at that piece. And the 3,000 other things you're not doing. And, and, and I can't actually, I actually can't. And so over and over, the be like Jesus message of, is, is really a message of, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm not believing Jesus is going to help me be like Jesus. I'm believing Jesus is my savior. I'm not like Jesus. I, I, I'm no good at that. And here's this amazing example. And, and Jesus goes into the undeserving that I, I don't do. I get like, no, no, you need to clean up. You need to get the right view. You need to not sin in this particular area that, that I think you're really sinning in before I associate them with you, right? And people are undeserving. They're undeserving because they don't think rightly about social issues. They're undeserving because they aren't friendly towards me or honor me. They're undeserving because of whatever. And, and if I say, okay, fine, be like Jesus, then I'm going into that and, and engaging well and then I'm loving anyway. And then, but if I realize I'm a sinner, then I say, no, I don't do that very well. I need a savior. And then I've got this amazing picture of Jesus actually doing it. He doesn't clean up my soup. He gives me his. He's perfect. And my, my deeds, my righteousness, my everything is, is his. And welcome to the reality in our church and the way that we think that we are living in this idea that we're walking forgiven. Not who we should be, and but we should be. It's not that we shouldn't be. It's, it's that we aren't. And we're forgiven. To believe is to believe that Jesus saves, that he's the son of God, that he's the king of the world, that he came to save you and me, and his love breaks in. Uh, Not that he's given me a followable example. So, today, enjoy people who accept you. That's fantastic. Hang out with those who stimulate you or who scratch the itch of community or friendship or care. But know this, it's not what Jesus did. And as we, each of us, we see that, we receive the wonder of forgiveness all the way through. We're forgiven. I want to close with a little quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm just going to read it. It's really fun. It's from Mere Christianity. He writes this, the terrible thing, almost the impossible thing, 
is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. What we're trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, yet at the same time to be good. We're trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. That's exactly what Christ told us we could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I'm a field that contains nothing but grass, I can't produce wheat. Cutting the grass might keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. Here's the gift of God for you and me. Jesus comes and proclaims, you're forgiven. I will make you new. The issue of your life is, do you believe him? Not at some point in time, but with your life. He will do it. Let's pray.